Hey everybody, this is Sean McVeigh and welcome to the Vet Med Mind. What is the Vet Med Mind? It's a podcast that we're doing here at Veterinary Growth Partners, celebrating success stories in veterinary medicine. I'm joined by Rachel Teichberg. You've certainly heard her speak or lecture at some of our conferences. So together and with other guests, we're going to explore in veterinary medicine, both current, past, and maybe even future uh, success stories. All right. Hello, everybody. And thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Vet Med Mind. I'm Rachel Tageberg, and I am so thrilled to be speaking with Stephanie Conlon today. She is a CVT and the practice manager of Pondere Veterinary Service in Idaho. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm thrilled. I love you. We see you at all the conferences. And so um, I, I'm excited to have you share your story. Uh, you've been in the veterinary industry for a really long time. So tell me a little bit about your vet origin story. How did this all come to be? Well, huh, kind of a funny story. I um, moved to Idaho in January of 99. Not a recommendation to move to Idaho in January. Um, and my history had been working with United Parcel Service. I was a, um, I loaded packages. I was a supervisor with them. I was a driver and I moved here, no job. It was, it was crazy. Um, and I saw an ad looking for help at a vet practice, not this one, but a, another vet practice. And I talked to the owner into hiring me. I had done some wildlife rehab. That was the only experience I had working with animals. And I'm like, now I know I can do this. You know, give me a try. And I went in and did like a job shadow. And yeah, they hired me and trained me to be a technician right out of the chute. Wow. Never. I didn't even ever like do kennels. They just said, okay, here you go. Wow. Um, like my my first shift, they threw me in surgery. So it was it was cool. Yeah. Um, so. That was my start and loved it from the get-go. Wow. <clears throat> Just loved it. That is amazing. So did you have, there was like no, I mean, you said a little wildlife, but there wasn't necessarily this like initial burning desire of vet med. It just sort of fell into your lap, huh? It did. It was something I was always interested in. Animals have always been a thing for me, but yeah, I just was like, you know, I could do that. And, you know, and also it was 25 years ago, young and energetic and ready to just, you know, go learn something new. So yeah. Wow. That's, that's how that started. And so you, you decided to continue. I mean, you were a career technician for a while, right? So, um, so yeah, you decided to go get the CVT and go through that whole process. So back, well, in this was in early 2000 and in Idaho at the time you could grandfather in. Mm. So you could, you with a letter from your, two of your veterinarians you worked with and your job experience, you could just go sit for the exam. So that's how I got my license. I didn't actually ever do any formal school. Yeah. Um, the study part was pretty much an educational process in its own. So. Of course. But um, yeah, I was lucky and passed the exam and that's how I got my CBT. Yeah. I think that the the graduate sort of into our grandfather into the program is so important. You know, I know, especially for people who have been in the industry for a long time to to do that schooling and knowing that obviously everything you're learning on the job is such a critical component of it. So I'm glad you're able to do that. That's that's really great. Do they still have that in Idaho? You can still No, they actually stopped it like the next year. Oh, wow. After I got mine. Yeah, it's been a while. I know that they're reconsidering though, because we're in such a crisis in the industry for technicians. And 
Yeah, I, I feel two ways about it. I think that the, the book smarts are really important and the the why of why of the things you do, but boy, you learn a lot on the job. So awesome. it goes, it's kind of 50-50. Yeah, I totally get that. And so you ended up making a transition into management. So what was that like for you? You know, I know that's that's a transition a lot of people make in our industry, right? They start as a technician and then slowly over time move into management roles. So yeah, tell tell me about what that was like and and how it was going from sort of coworker to supervisor. The practice I worked at before, I was a practice manager for them as well, and um, it was very small at the time. Um, it was a little two exam room. It was actually a turned over house, um, so the staff was small. Um, there was it, and we were all pretty close knit. So, and I had been in management with UPS too. So. It seems to follow me in my life. Um, it's hard, especially when you are managing technicians with more experience than you. Um, then it was a husband-wife team, so there weren't associates to deal with and things of that nature. So the transition wasn't terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, it, you know, I think leadership is just a thing for me. I, I'm pretty confident and good. And I think I've gotten better (laughs) Um, and I still have room to grow, but I do think it was smooth. It wasn't so bad for me. Yeah. Yeah. And now where you are now, uh, are you still doing technician work? How is that relationship with being a technician changed? No. um, When I took over practice management for Ponderay Veterinary Service, um, (laughs) so it's kind of a, the brief history. I started working for Ponderay Veterinary Service as a relief technician. Then I got hired on as a technician and a receptionist. So I was doing both jobs. And then they needed an inventory manager. So I took that on. And then I took on the accounts receiver. Yeah, accounts receivable. So then they asked me to be the practice manager. So it's morphed. Yeah. Um, and at this point in the game, I don't do any tech work. Um, we had a bookkeeper that passed away a few years ago and I took over her stuff too. So I don't have a lot of time to be on the floor. However, this morning I was placing fluids and drawing blood for an emergency. So (laughs) it's still still there. Of course, you can't resist, you know? Um, Yeah. And I know your practice has seen a lot of success, you know, since you've been there and over time um, and you've definitely taken advantage of a lot of what veterinary growth partners has to offer. So I wanted to chat about sort of the last, you know, few years, especially and going through what we call our pathway planning process. And so for everybody listening, pathway planning is essentially the process of creating a strategic plan for your practice. And so, you know, we work with uh, practices, the coaching team works with practices to develop all these different areas. And so Stephanie, you went through this process and I'll say that what that was like for you or where, so where were see. you, I guess, let me, let me, let me edit the question. I want to know where sure. you were before <laughs> that you were like, I need oh, this. Well, that's, that's <laughs> what I, okay. So I love this story because it makes my heart happy. Um, so as the at the time that we kind of discovered Pathway, there were four practice owners. And I um, had been the practice manager maybe a year, year and a half, maybe two. Um, and we would have meetings and we would do things and say and have ideas and all this stuff and go absolutely nowhere with it. I had four personalities that all wanted different things and had different ideas about running the practice. There was no cohesion. 
And it was an exercise in futility, literally. You know, you as a manager, I'd try to get something done. There was no accountability. I couldn't go to a partner and say, but you said, no, because then they'd be like, well, so-and-so didn't want to or whatever. Super frustrating. Mm-hmm. And I was always like, how in the world we didn't have systems and as a UPS background, I'm a systems person. Boy, oh, let me have a system. For sure. And it drove me crazy. Yeah. So um, our MWI rep at the time hooked us up with a, like it was a brief one day introduction. And I don't even think Sean was there. I don't remember who the speaker was. So we did this one day intro and I went with one of the partners, luckily the one that's kind of the visionary. And she's like, oh yeah, this is for us. And so we went to Scottsdale, which is now my favorite place to go ever. Um, And uh, we were hooked. We were so hooked. And we went to the pathway uh, workshop. But there was a little bit of a problem because we came back to the practice with the three other owners. They didn't have a clue what we were talking about. And so then we stumbled on for another, say, six months or so, trying to implement the things we'd learned and trying to get stuff going. And we weren't gaining any traction. It was really frustrating. And I said, listen, there's another pathway in San Antonio. The four of you need to go. Go get this practice online. Tell me what you want. And um, we can't do anything until the four of you know what you want for your practice. And so they went. And they came back and that was like in November and January, man, we were gangbusters. We started and we did all the things, all the steps, right? The meetings and the one year and the five year and the goals and the stuff and the leadership team. And man, we've been rocking it ever since. Oh my God. I love that. Changed my life. I'm not even playing from a frustrated is what in the crap are we doing to, oh my God, look at us go. Yeah. And it's been gangbusters ever since. I love that. I and I actually had a similar experience to you. You know, I was introduced to Veterinary Growth Partners also as a as a practice manager, and same thing. I mean, I I was sent to the workshop without actually really knowing what I was what it was. <laughs> it was one of those like, oh, it's in Tampa. Like, go drive over and, and just check it out. Um, and I went with one of my coworkers, and both of us were like. Oh my God, like this is exactly yes. what we need. And uh, I kind of had the similar experience. You know, it, it, it is one of those things where, you know, you go to these workshops, they're so immersive. It's, it's so motivating and inspiring and the wheels are turning and there's so much brainstorming and excitement. And then just like with a lot of these CE events, you, you go back and not everyone is feeling the same motivation, excitement. And- well, they're looking at you like you're crazy. <laughs> yeah, like, what did they do to you at that workshop? <laughs> So, um, so I totally get that. And and we did something similar, you know, we, we went through the work again, started working with a practice coach and all that sort of stuff to really get the team on board. And that's honestly why I work at veterinary growth partners, because it was so incredibly inspiring to me to see what a difference it made from sort of knee jerk type management style of like, oh, something's broken, fix it. Something's broken, fix it to planning and scheduling and, um, you know, thinking about the future in a strategic way, because it's uh, especially, you know, for a lot of practices, depending upon where you guys all are in growth, 
you know, I was in a place where it was very much so startup mode. So there were new ideas all the time and that can be really overwhelming. So I love how much you love it um, and that you guys are still rocking it. And what do you feel like overall? I mean, obviously, you know, checking a lot of boxes, you know, having the plans, going through the motions, figuring out the how you're going to achieve your goals. What do you feel like has been some of like the biggest successes that have come from having this strategy? Well, we were able to build a new building. Oh, that's huge. That was kind of a big one. Yeah. That's a huge <laughs> one, right? Yeah. So we moved from, you know, five exam rooms to eight and we have a beautiful new building. Um, so that was a big deal. Um, there's never any argument about what's going to happen. And what I mean, but I don't mean argument, just there's, it's always very clear that clarity, super nice, right? We have it in the computer and the pathway plan. Anyone can look and we know where we're, where, what we're working on and what we're striving for all the time. And that's lovely. The team knows. Yeah. So when we have, after we do our quarterlies, we always update our team at an all staff meeting about what's in the cooker, what we're working on, where we're trying to go. So that part's fabulous. Um, and we, you know, um, to maybe throw out a number, we went, we wanted to be, our five-year goal was to be a $3 million practice and we surpassed it by half a million. So that was cool. That's amazing. So we, yeah, so there's a metric for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, we were able to, to do that. So that's been a big deal. Yeah. Um, I think that as far as staff retention goes, having everybody on the same page is really, really helpful for the staff. Yeah. Because there's not any question about, you know, what's happening. So that's good. Did I answer your question? Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And actually I want to, I want to expand a little bit on the staff because one of the things I think a lot of practice managers or owners are a little hesitant with is talking about the business with the team, right? There's sometimes this hesitation of like, Oh, the numbers, the staff, you know, we don't want to talk about the money and this and the percentages. And sometimes there's a little bit of resistance that may or may not truly exist. Um, you know, sometimes it's also just like a comfort level thing, but yeah. How do you feel, you know, your staff receives all this information? Like, do you, do you feel, I mean, I know you said it creates clarity for them. Um, but do you think that they value knowing what the, what the management team is working on and what the future holds? You know, absolutely. And, um, we didn't do such a good job at first. It's been more of a recent change that at our staff meetings, we're sharing um, numbers um, and specifics. And it's kind of a game changer. We get a lot more um, interaction from our staff at those meetings, you know, kind of make it fun. Can you guess what expenses were for um, July and August? Does anybody want to know how much we spent on just lab supply? And they love knowing and they like to guess and they think it's fun. So that's cool. And I think it makes them feel involved and a part of the practice. So they know what we're dealing with. You know, um, nobody would think that, you know, my IDEX send out bill is, you know, $27,000. They don't know until you tell them. Right. And they're like, oh, geez, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Better not forget the charge. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think it's important. Yeah. It gives them a piece of, um, gives them a piece of the practice in my mind. 
Totally. A sense of ownership and connection and belonging. And the truth is, is that what we we often see and feel, you know, even as an employee, whatever you don't know, you're going to make up a story about. And we see this Mm -hmm. a lot with veterinary teams. You know, they see a lot of money coming in. And a lot of times without that transparency about what goes out, there's an incorrect story about where all this money's going. Why am I getting paid so little? Why can't I get a raise? Why this, you know, why don't we have more staff? And without answers to those questions, they write their own stories. The management team doesn't care about us, or they're the ones that are getting all the big paychecks or this or that, right? And so creating the clarity of the understanding of really what what involves this whole business is really changing. How do you feel it's been like, do you feel like your team has had now, now that you're communicating more with them, are you finding that they're communicating more with you and have more of a voice as far as ideas and suggestions? I think yes and no. Um, I still think that there's a little bit of shyness or a little bit of, I'm not really sure I should bring that up. Um, but I'm seeing it more and more, especially, you know, with the the strong leads, right? The CBTs that have been to school. Hey, we need a really good monitor because we're doing orthopedics and, you know, we really need a better monitor, like things of that nature. I feel like they're getting better. Um, I'd like to see more involvement with the systems. You know, I don't feel like this works. Here's a solution. You know, I'd like to see a little bit more with that, but I think it just takes time. Absolutely. And it's a trust building exercise, right? You know, people want to feel safe to reach out, see a change happen, right? And it sort of like continues to build and to grow. Um, But just having that culture of, again, building that transparency and that willingness to have this sort of two-way conversation is so important. Um, And in speaking of communication, I know you just recently went to one of our workshops, you do the the emotional intelligence training and I know mediation training. So um, obviously there's a lot of personal benefits to going to all those workshops. Um, and what do you feel like, has there been a change personally through that sort of social, emotional growth and learning over the years? For me, um, definitely. Mm-hmm. I, um, and it's still a work in progress, believe me. Um, I, throughout my career, you know, keep in mind, I went from a male dominated field where an aggressive, outspoken woman fit in perfect, right? to veterinary medicine. And that shift was extremely difficult, especially when it came time to managing people, because it's a more of a female dominated business. And the way that you get your point across and the way you do things is very, very different. Um, And I'm an aggressive person. I'm a a kind of loud, I'm outspoken. Um, And that's been challenging. I've been talked to about my tone of voice many, many, many times in my career. Um, it's that number has dwindled thanks to the EQ. Um, I try to be more self-aware. Um, I'm not sure if you can see the mirror in the background. That's actually from EQ. Check your face before you go out in treatment. <laughs> make sure make sure you're not wearing some stuff on your face. That really did come from going to EQ. Uh, Brilliant. So, uh, yeah, I think it's been a huge benefit and we've got some really cool stuff in the cooker for our practice for 2023. Um, yeah. with the three hour module that you guys hooked us up with and we're creating a toolbox for our staff. Yeah. Thanks to you guys. So that's fun. 
and yeah. now just, you know, getting everyone confident to talk to each other. That's our goal. Just yes. talk to each yes. other. Don't talk about each other, talk to each other. Yes. And look, it's one of those things. It, it takes time for us to unlearn and relearn and feel safe and, you know, make the space for it and all of those things to come together. But more than anything, that commitment to being like, we know this works. We know this could be game changing for our practice to help build the morale, the longevity, the retention. All of it is just so important. So I, is your team, I, I know it's uncomfortable, right? I, I mean, I think every everyone as we go into sort of a personal growth journey, explore emotional intelligence, learn about our feelings, have to ask ourselves difficult questions. It's uncomfortable. Um, but it seems like your team though is open to learning more and embracing even, even if it's just a little baby step right away. Yeah, it's definitely in the baby step process right now. We're just, you know, we made a mistake with our team in that we came back from EQ all fired up and we started, we started with direct conversation and the how and the why and showing some videos of Sean and like, here's how you do it. And this is why, but we never, ever, we didn't start with the basics. Here's what emotional intelligence is. This is how we'd like to use it. And that's our plan is to, like I said, um, use the little three hour tutorial and get everyone on the team to do it. And this is the why so that then we can start over and, start using it. So absolutely we had to go backwards a little bit because our team got really intimidated. Yeah. You know, it, it can be a lot. And that's just, I mean, it, it it is. It's a personal growth journey. And you know, in a lot of a lot of fields, this isn't something that employers provide and promote. So being the employer to be like, you know, we see this as an important journey and training for us as a team. But also this is big stuff for you as a human being, right? Yeah. And being a person, uh, obviously it transcends work. You know, you can't do this stuff in a box. Right. <laughs> so right. so it can be a lot. It can be a little scary sometimes to to start peeling back an onion and, and learning more about yourself. And you're right. It doesn't stop. I, it is always a work in right? progress. It is. So, so yeah. And I think it's important because also we're seeing a lot of burnout. We're seeing a lot of compassion fatigue. There's a lot of attrition in our industry. Do you feel like this sort of training can impact your team that way to help support them and be almost its own resource in diminishing that kind of burnout? I do. I do. Um, I think that there's a lot of opportunity to make people really comfortable in their workspace. Um, I think that there, the, the self-awareness piece is huge, right? Coming to work, knowing what's going on with you is pretty important. Um, I, I think we have to do a little bit more work, especially um, with support staff in making the public recognize just exactly what we do as support okay. staff. And I think that there's a lot of opportunity there um, for the field, you know, veterinarians too, don't get me wrong, but um, for sure the whole industry, I think that it needs to be kind of twofold, um, yeah. you know, so. Yeah. And this is just sort of one step in the right direction yeah. as people are trying to, yes, I put a huge emphasis on, on wellness and well-being, and, you know, try as we might over all these years, you know, it is, this is, this isn't going away. It's getting worse. And, and I, I think it is, I have seen a lot of movement in our industry to, to bring this sort of work to the focus because, that that's the only thing that's going to change. You know, we, we have to, we have to educate, 
our clients and we have to educate ourselves to handle the difficulties of this industry yep. as productively as we can yeah. and start asking for what we need. Well, right. That's the huge emotional intelligent piece, right? Is asking for what you need and knowing what you need. Because sometimes you don't know what you need because your self-awareness is minimal that day. And you're like, but you need to know, oh gosh, what I'm feeling isn't just overwhelmed. I'm feeling scared or whatever that is about, you know, the day. (laughs) I need some help. Yeah. So yes, and emotions are complicated and they overlap and it's, it's a lot. And yeah, being able to identify, like I'm not in a good place to walk into this exam room right now is really important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we, as a profession and as businesses, you know, in order to save our team's mental health need to find ways to support it when we can, you know, and provide resources and tools. So that way everyone has everything at their fingertips to manage those situations as the best they can. So, um, I love that you you're bringing it into practice and, you know, pathway planning. It's funny. We, we have this sort of trio of workshops, if you will, right. We have the pathway planning for the strategy. We have the emotional intelligence for the obviously social emotional side. And then we have the conference. And to me, you know, they've always been sort of this harmony because, you know, you put into place a strategy and what's going to happen conflict, right? Right. (laughs) There's going to be pushback, resistance, change. Right. And so, you know, the fact that like, you know, we, we have that sort of there to be like, okay, we know what's going to happen when you try to implement some of this stuff initially, right. It's natural to have that resistance. And then that emotional intelligence component to be able to deal with the emotional side of running a business and being an employee right. and a coworker and a business owner and a manager. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, seemingly we're like, we do these three things, but really they're just so interconnected because you, you really can't do one of them without the other. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Because I, I think that my, I did pathway, then I did commando and then EQ. And really, mm-hmm. I think the other way around would have been better. Because, yeah. you know, con- like for me personally, conflict's never really been a thing. Bring it. Mm. I'm good. Let's talk <laughs> about it. Let's work. But I'm also bring it. Let's work it out. And then let's be done. And I don't hold yeah. grudges or whatever, but I want to tackle it right now. Guess what? That's not always the best strategy. <laughs> <laughs> you go in guns blazing. Yeah. You're like, I'm just, we're going to solve this right Let's now. Just take care of it. And really, some people don't work that way. So, yeah. you know, the EQ portion probably would have been better than <laughs> to go first. <laughs> Simmer your gotcha. sauce, Stephanie. Yeah. Simmer your sauce. <laughs> so. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And so what do you feel like you've implemented? You know, I, I, obviously running a practice is hard. Like you said, you know, your the responsibilities have kind of been growing and morphing over time. What kind of strategies do you implement for your own balance and boundaries? Oh, you mean like personally? Yeah. Or, you know, to personally within the practice. Yeah. Separating from the practice when you're not at work. I have never, I've, I'm very fortunate. I've never had a problem leaving it at the door. It's pretty mm. rare that I take it home. I, it, I, I co- systems, right? I compartmentalize really well. When I shut my car mm. door, I go into home mode. And then that yes. has its own challenges, right? And I would say I have, well, I'm very blessed. I have two incredibly strong leads that are my core, if you will, actually three of them. We have a uh, boarding facility as well. And so those three ladies 
really make my life easier and they help uh-huh. me. We bounce ideas off each other and they're there. Like if I'm super frustrated with something, you know, why in the, why can't the UPS man do it right? You know, why can't he come to the back door? Whatever. Uh-huh. Um, so uh-huh. I have them. And then yeah. I also have really good supportive owners that if I need help or I want to address a problem or tackle it or give feedback, they're pretty open. So yeah. I'm blessed. Yeah, that's huge. It is huge. And when you were, and it might not be for these particular people, but you know, when, when you started developing lead roles, I know sometimes the the tricky part is if you've been managing alone for a while, um, you know, especially when we promote someone into that leadership role, there's a lot of like asking, like, is this okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it cool if I do this? Uh, what would you do? What was that like for you? Like, did you at any point have to sort of empower your team, train these managers from whatever position they were in before? Some, um, we do, um, again, they're such great ladies, you know, um, I try really hard because I am a little bit of a control person um, to let them do what they need to do, even if I maybe don't agree with how they're doing it. And then if it doesn't work, we come back and say, well, how'd that work? Or we, or good job. Hey, you handled that perfect. I would have done it different, but you did a great job. Um, So there's some mentoring that goes into it, but they have stepped in quite nicely. Um, uh, Something I'm kind of proud of uh, the last um, conference we went to in Phoenix this last fall, when we went to EQ again, right. Or no, it was commando. Um, We talked about EQ and like where our failures were and how this was going to look. And I tasked my them to come up with a plan for implementation and getting everyone on board and bringing it to our quarterly pathway. And they killed it, man. They killed oh, it because yeah. I had two owners that were like, yeah, I'm sick of this EQ crap. I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> and those girls, they rocked it. They did oh. me. They had people in tears, like just killed it. It was so good. Oh. So I'm so proud of my team. That's one of my the proud mama moments, if you will. So that's beautiful. Yeah. And, and you know what? And such a beautiful moment for them, right. To be, to kind of give a presentation and, and own something. Um, and also just to step out of their comfort zone a little, I mean, that's, that's really cool. You know, the growth opportunities in our industry sometimes feel so limiting and it's like, okay, there's, I could be a technician, a lead technician, a manager, a doctor. And like, that's, that's all we sometimes see is that hierarchical right. kind of career growth. And just with doing something so powerful as that and taking on a training or, you know, just owning a project, you know, those are, those are big things. And that is also career growth um, and professional growth um, and just cool, a great opportunity. So I love it. I'm so glad that they crushed it. They should get on stage next time. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Well, they, they really did do a great job. So um, I think that, you know, getting back to your original question, it's taken some time, you know, of me saying, no, you can do this. You don't need me. Mm. You know, um, I, they said the girls went to the conflict management in San Antonio. What was that one called? Um, Oh yeah. The mediation training. mm -hmm. I didn't get to go. I was out of town, but um, they sent me a picture from the screen from the workshop that said managers don't have to solve all the problems. And I was like, yeah. I don't. <laughs> so that was really cool. Like they thought of me yeah. and they were, you know, so it was neat that they feel empowered, right? To yes. be able to help and do the things. 
and how freeing, you know, I, I, it's funny. I, I think that a lot of people go into management and, and that's what their job is. It's problem solving all day long. And, and you just don't have to do that on your own. You know, we have a brilliant team, you know, we hire intelligent people that all are doing the job and it's easy to want to fix everything. Right. And it's, it's not, you know, you saying like, you know, you have sort of that control, like you kind of like having that, it can be tough to get rid of. I think that's a common trait that I see in a lot of practice managers that sort of like, I'll take care of it. Um, but when you start to let that go, you know, again, you see your team start to thrive. And what ends up happening is when you do that for too long, they don't know how to make decisions anymore. Right? right. And then nothing happens without you. And that's exactly what we're trying to avoid. You know, we, we want the practice to be successful when you are at home and when you're on vacation, right? Exactly. No more about inventory while you're on the beach. <laughs> no, exactly. Don't text me. I'm not answering. <laughs> I worked with a gal many, many years ago that she wanted to do all the things. She didn't want other people to know how she wanted to just, and it was about her self-esteem, right? It wasn't, because she was a bad person. It's just, it was her thing. And I can remember looking at her going, no, everyone knows, needs to know how to do this. It's right. not just you. It takes a whole team and that it takes a minute to learn that. But once you've got it in place, boy, it's super liberating. And it feels yeah. good to let other people be successful and watch them, right? Oh, I nurtured that. That's cool. You know, yes. that feels good. Yeah, it really is. Very, very cool. Now, I always want to ask you, has there been somebody throughout your career that you have been inspired by? Who? Like in the veterinary field or? Anywhere. Hmm. Not necessarily. I'm, um, I've been reinvigorated by Walter Brown, to tell you the truth, and what mm -hmm. he's doing for the technology, vet tech field. I'm, He's get, kind of given me some new purpose. Um, yeah. Getting my text to some conferences and doing a little bit more, doing more quizzes just for fun. Um, really trying to, I think that he's hit the nail on the head in that if we want to keep technicians and support staff, we have to make them feel like their role is, they know their role is important, but we need to make them feel like it's important you know, empower yes. them to calculate that dose or calculate that drip rate, right? Like use your skills. I think it's important. Mm -hmm. So that's a recent one. Does that answer? Yeah. But as far as super inspired, <sighs> Sean got me motivated and Julia is a rock star. Does that count? <laughs> of course it does. <laughs> Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I love it. All right. Well, awesome. So I want to move into our rapid fire section. Okay. So we're going to go through a few quick questions. So first of all, what was the name of your first pet? Scorpy. Scorpy and follow up question. What kind of pet? It was a dog. Cute. Yeah. <laughs> Does Scorpy mean anything? Was it Short like a Scorpio? Oh, cute. November birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. <laughs> What's your favorite genre of music? Ooh, classic rock. Yeah, me too. Or seventies tunes. Fan. Yeah. Mm, love it. What is your number one guilty pleasure? Ooh, wine. Yes. <laughs> Great answer. Yeah, wine, Korean. red wine, good red wine. <laughs> oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Love it. What is one thing on your bucket list? My bucket list, uh, probably the Maldives. 
Mm. Yeah, that sounds beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I think that's up there. Uh, Do it in Italy. Those two. Mm. Oh yes, and all the food that Italy comes right. with, and wine, <laughs> and wine. Yeah, book two and one. Um, what is your go-to airport or road trip snack? Oh, probably like almonds or some sort of salty something. Mm, yeah. And what about a go-to karaoke song? Girl, I don't sing karaoke. Nobody want to hear that. Out of here. Mm-mm, not doing it. Mm-mm. Really? I'll not even with up. all that wine? I'll sing back up. <laughs> okay, back up is fair. So, but a, like a good classic 70s song, like a queen or something like that. Um, actually, my favorite backup is Love Shack. <gasps> yes. Love Shack, oh, that's oh. Yeah, see, you can see that. You can do it. <laughs> That is one of my favorite where there's, you know, whenever we do karaoke, there's always someone that does love shack and it's the best. Right? It's always, it's a crowd pleaser. Yep. But and I'll sing back up all day, but. <laughs> <laughs> and if you could go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice, what would it be? Mm, that's not rapid fire, Rachel. Um, I know. I know. <laughs> travel more. Yes. Yeah. See the world. Yeah. Yes. I didn't clue into that until later in life. And I wish I'd started sooner. Yes. Well, it's not too late. No, no, I'm about it now. I love it. Well, maybe Italy or the Maldives. You never know. Maybe. Could happen. <laughs> well, Stephanie, I couldn't thank you more for being here. It was so much fun chatting with you. And thank you so much for sharing your story with anytime, us. Anytime, anytime. Thanks so much. Thank you, everybody. And uh, by the way, if you know somebody that in your life is a success story in veterinary medicine, and I really mean this, it could be a kennel worker, it could be the person who cleans your hospital, Uh, it it can be the best client that comes through the door who's an animal advocate, Uh, a success story in your neighborhood. Uh, Those are the kind of stories that we're looking for. And so I don't think we're going to have any shortage uh, of uh, candidates, but I'm always interested to hear what you think of when we say who's a success in your life what's going on in their vet med mind